Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us about yourself. You teach us who you are and how it is we are to relate to you. You teach us who we are as your people and how we can live in ways that glorify you. Help us as we read this part of uh, the book of Exodus today to understand what we're reading uh, and help us to uh, grow because of it uh, as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some amazing stories of God's call in the Old Testament. At specific times and for specific reasons, God calls specific people to serve him. Each call story gives us insight into the person being called and the God who calls them. In the book of Judges, God calls Gideon to serve him as a judge and to rescue the Israelites from their enemies, the Midianites. Gideon immediately protests, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Israel. I'm the least in my family. Uh, But God promises to be with Gideon. Uh, Gideon puts his trust in God, and through Gideon, God wins a miraculous victory over the Midianites. When God calls the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah is dismayed during his vision of the Lord because he is utterly aware of his sin before a holy God. God sends an angel to touch a coal from the altar to Isaiah's lips and his sin is atoned for. Then God asks, uh, who will I send? Uh, Who will go for us? Who will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God sends Isaiah to preach judgment on Israel. Prophet Jeremiah is called by God in slightly less dramatic circumstances, but also to preach God's message of judgment to his people. Uh, Jeremiah protests, I don't know how to speak, Lord, and I'm too young. But God says to Jeremiah, don't be afraid of them. Say to them what I command, for I am with you. God calls his people uh, at different times, for different reasons, uh, to serve him. Often there is that objection from the one being called. The task of serving, uh, I just can't do it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be too hard. Uh, But always there is the promise that God will be with the one that he calls. God works in and through his people to achieve his purposes by his power. As we look at God's call to Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, we'll see similar aspects of the call here. And we'll think about what this means for God's call on us today as his people. Uh, In Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in Uh, one of the most extraordinary ways, and tells him of his plan to save his people. We heard at the end of chapter 2, from the last part of chapter 2 last week, that God has heard his people's cry, uh, and he's remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, And we see very clearly now that God remembering his covenant means that he's about to act. Uh, God remembering his covenant isn't because he's forgotten, needs, needs a reminder, It's telling us that the time has come in God's plan to save his people. And he'll use Moses to help him do that. Uh, The manner of God appearing to Moses is unique. Have a read again of the first few verses of chapter 3 there with me. Chapter 3 from verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Uh, And down in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now this is new. This hasn't happened for Moses before. 
Uh, It hasn't happened for anyone in the Old Testament before, God speaking from the midst of a burning bush. And after 40 years living a peaceful life as a shepherd, Acts 7 gives us, Acts 7 verse 30, he gives us the time period there. Well, Moses gets the shock of a lifetime here, doesn't he? God calling to him from within a bush that is burning but doesn't burn up. Uh, This is a theophany, a visible manifestation of the invisible God. Uh, The first of many miraculous events that we'll see in the course of the book of Exodus. Uh, God commands Moses to remove his sandals. This is holy ground. Again, uh, this is unique in God's appearances to his people. Uh, This is the first time that the Bible uses the word holy with reference to God. It won't be the last time. (laughs) Uh, But here we are introduced to uh, this word that shows us a holy God, a God who is to be revered, a God who, while intimately aware of and involved in the lives of his people, is also separate and distinct from them. Uh, God is set apart from his people, and Moses is in the presence of this God. Uh, And then we see again that this really is God speaking to Moses, but this time from God's own voice, repeating the words uh, from the end of the last chapter, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. We're reminded again here of God's promise, of his intention to fulfill his promise. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Remember, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, uh, to give his people a land of their own, and to bless them and to bless all nations through them. An incredible promise, uh, already starting to be fulfilled because We see in the first two chapters, Israel are already growing into a large, a great nation, uh, and God's words confirm again that he hasn't forgotten his promise. Uh, Have a look from verse 8 with me. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I think right up until uh, verse 10, (laughs) Moses must have been cheering. (laughs) Yes, God is coming to rescue his people from slavery. Yes, God is going to bless them and give them a land of their own. But then God says what he says in verse 10, Now go, I am sending you... (laughs) Moses must be thinking, no, no. The realisation that God planned to use Moses in this scheme, Moses' very next uh, question, verse 11, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Why send me? It's essentially what he's asking. Don't send me is what he's saying. God ignores uh, the question. (laughs) It doesn't answer it directly. He simply tells Moses he'll be with him. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses has to take it on faith to a degree. Uh, When you're back here worshipping me on this mountain, God says, after rescuing my people from Egypt, then you'll know it was me who sent you. That's a promise from God. This is what will happen, Moses, trust me, God says. And it's an indication that it really is God who will be doing the saving. 
God intends to save his people uh, and to save them from something and to something. Uh, so God will save his people from slavery in Egypt, but not just saving them from slavery, but he'll bring them to the promised land. God saves them from slavery and to the promised land, fulfilling his promise. Uh, we've got something crucial to learn here as Christians today. Uh, this will become perhaps even clearer as we go further into Exodus. But even now, we can look at Israel's bondage as a picture of our slavery to sin. And God calls us from something and to something as well. As Christians, we are called out of slavery to sin and to the joy of salvation, to a life of service to God. Uh, whatever your job or occupation in life, every Christian is called to a life of service to God. See how the Apostle Paul puts it uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God calls us out of sin and into his wonderful light. Uh, and as his called people, we serve him uh, by telling others of what he's done for us. The Apostle Paul puts it, uh, Apostle Peter, sorry, puts it this way, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. One commentator on the book of Exodus puts it this way, the God who saves is the God who sends. Every follower of Christ receives two callings, first to salvation and then to service. Now we've been looking pretty closely at this very fact over the last 12 months in church as we've been thinking about uh, Christian discipleship, uh, particularly at the end of the book of Matthew there in the Great Commission, uh, which we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. We see the triumphant risen Lord Jesus having just completed his great work of salvation, now commanding his disciples to go and make disciples, to be his messengers to the ends of the earth, uh, to share the gospel so that more might be saved. It's one of the great uh, paradoxes of God's sovereign grace that he uses human beings, sinful human beings, to carry out his saving purpose in the world. Uh, we might... Uh, think at times, uh, no, God, no. Well, I think it's a great idea. Yes, uh, save people, spread the gospel, God. Great if, if that person goes and does that, but don't send me, Lord. Uh, I might get a little anxious like Moses did at times. Uh, but God uses us. He uses his, uh, his followers, sinful as we might be, to carry out his saving purpose in the world. He himself has won the victory and provided the salvation. We're simply to serve him as his messengers. It is no small task. Uh, we may wonder, as Moses did, who am I that I should tell them the gospel? Uh, but we have God's promise to be with us as we go. Just as God promised Moses, so he promises us. Uh, Jesus promised there at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20, 
Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't go alone and it's not in our own strength that we do it. It's in God's strength. Uh, He uses us. We serve him in his plan of salvation. Uh, Do you feel a bit nervous about that? How do you feel when you think of this call to service which you've received as one of Jesus' disciples? Uh, We'll come back to that uh, in a few minutes. Back to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is still stuck on the idea that it's him God is sending to do this. Uh, He's just not convinced that he's the right man for the job. And he's a lot of questions for God. This is like a job application where the applicant realizes he's got no idea what he's got himself in for. Uh, Only Moses didn't even apply for this. He's been handpicked. His next question is, what will I say to the people? Not simply, who am I, Lord, that you should send me, but who are you, God? When the people ask, who will I say has sent me? Now, Moses already knows who God is. Uh, He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That phrase will be repeated regularly in these two chapters. But Moses is being more specific here. He's asking God, what is your name? What what name will I give the people when they ask, who uh, who has sent me? And Then we have in verse 14, God giving his name to Moses. Uh, This is a verse that will set a precedent for God's people and mark their devotion. Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is a slightly mysterious response. It's a name without really being a name. Uh, It's a statement about God. I am who I am, or it could just as readily be translated as I will be who I will be. God is using verbs, not nouns, when he tells Moses his name. I am is simply the verb to be. He's telling Moses he is simply the God who is. Uh, It represents his eternal, unchangeable being. It means that he is self-existent. God doesn't describe himself with reference to anyone else, any power or person or thing. Uh, The Westminster Confession of Faith, the confessional uh, basis of the Presbyterian Church, puts it like this. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made. It's well put, isn't it? God is the one being in the universe who doesn't, whose existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. Again, if we reflect on what this means for us as God's people today, uh, we see that this is the same God who has saved us from the darkness of sin and brought us into his wonderful light. Uh, This saving God, the I am, is the God we meet in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises and saving power. Jesus' own words confirm it. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus is debating with the Pharisees, telling them that, Uh, whoever obeys him will never see death. Uh, They ask him, well, who do you think you are? Even our father Abraham died. Are you claiming to be greater than Abraham? Jesus replies in chapter 8, verse 58, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, they want to kill Jesus then and there, uh, but it's not the right time. Uh, Jesus claimed and showed by his words and actions over and over again that he is God. This is the God who has saved us and who we follow. 
And it gives us a great place to start uh, in our own service of God, in our own obedience to God as we serve him, as we uh, share his gospel message. Uh, do you ever wonder what you'll say or, you know, uh, when you first start to share the gospel with someone, what will I say? Who will I say sent me? We know the name of the God we serve. His name is Jesus. We have books written about him, books of the Bible full of his words and deeds. Moses wanted to know the name of the God who was sending him to Egypt. What was the name of the God who would save his people from slavery? We went one step ahead of Moses, aren't we? We already know the name of the one who saves from sin and death. We can confidently go out and share the message of salvation to the lost in the name of Jesus. Relying on his power as we do so. Back to Exodus chapter 3. God promises to do great things to save his people from Egypt. And this will all be proved to be true throughout the book. Everything God says in the second half of chapter 3 happens uh, happens uh, as, we, as we go forward. And God describes his incredible power in acting to save his people. He will be shown to be more powerful than any opposition. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Follow with me there. Uh, God says to Moses, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. God even promises that the Israelites will leave Egypt rich, wealthy. They'll, they'll basically plunder the Egyptians as they go. Moses is still pretty reluctant. He's still very unsure. So he comes back to the idea of God sending him. Why me, God? So God displays his power. He gives Moses signs to perform. He turns Moses' staff into a snake. Uh, he turns Moses' hand leprous and then heals it. Uh, God says that the water of the, from the Nile will turn to blood for him. That's not enough. Moses has another objection. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your, Lord uh, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God responds in verses 11 and 12. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And here's where it gets just a little bit too much for God. <laughs> God's about to get angry. Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Moses really doesn't want to do this. Don't you ever feel that way? Please send someone else, God. Moses really doesn't want to do this. In his anger, God finally gives a concession and tells Moses his brother Aaron will do the speaking. And with that, well, Moses has run out of excuses. It took a long time for Moses to come around, uh, far too long. Uh, but if we were in his shoes or in his bare feet at this point, would we have acted any differently? In the end, it comes down to whether or not we obey the God who calls us. Uh, one commentator says this about Moses, and I think, think it could apply just as well to us. What Moses uh, had was not so much a speech problem at unmistakable calling, but rather than trusting God to enable him to fulfill it, Moses was starting to make excuses. 
It's a little ironic, uh, really. Here Moses is conversing, even arguing with God, and yet he doesn't think he's the one to take God's message to Pharaoh. Uh, Surely a far lesser authority. But with everything uh, God has just done and said for Moses, uh, we're reminded again that God uh, is with us as we serve him. God has promised and demonstrated that he will be with Moses and God will be with us too. When God calls his people to serve him, he doesn't leave them high and dry. He equips and helps us to do the work. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God works in us, enabling us to serve him. The writer to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God equips his people to serve him. It's God who works in us as we serve him in this world. Are you fearful? of serving God, do you worry uh, whether you'll be able to do what he asks? Are you afraid of those uh, around you, those you may go to who need to hear the gospel, uh, afraid of how they'll respond, what reception you'll get? Do you shy away from declaring the praises of the one who called you because you don't know what you'll say or how you'll say it? Be encouraged. Uh, We really need to have no fear in sharing the gospel message. It's God who works in you to enable you to obey him. Uh, He's already done everything necessary for salvation. Uh, Our task as his called people is simply to declare his praises, to live holy, God-honoring lives. Uh, To some, as we go about sharing the gospel, to some it will be the aroma of life and to some it will be the aroma of death be easy there will be opposition there will be hardships to face there will be kickback there will be rejection but it's God who saves it's his message the power of the gospel is his power it's his mighty arm that does the work he equips us for it we simply need to serve him And if you feel weak and unsuitable for the task, well, you can know that your very weaknesses may even contribute to the message. Uh, Moses was right. Who was he to go to Pharaoh and free Israel? Who was he? He was no one. He was just a guy. His weaknesses only served to highlight God's power. Uh, And as we go about serving God and sharing his gospel, it's the same for us. Uh, The Apostle Paul, again, talking about Uh, preaching Christ as Lord in a world that rejects Christ and rejects his followers because of him. Uh, He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The power of the gospel comes 
from God and not from us. Trust in that power. That's the power God promises to display against Pharaoh for Moses. That's the power that is in the gospel. Uh, Eventually, Moses goes. (laughs) Eventually, Moses goes. Run out of excuses. He obeys. And we learn that we, we come across a couple of difficult things in, in the end of, towards the end of chapter 4. First, uh, we see that in this whole process, God will actually harden Pharaoh's heart. Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now that's a hard thing to fathom, isn't it? That God will harden the heart of Pharaoh so that he will not let the people go. Uh, We won't delve into it right now. Yeah, You may discuss it in growth groups during the week and uh, we'll think about more God's sovereignty a little more, God's sovereignty and salvation a little later in the book. We'll come back to it. Uh, secondly, this issue of the firstborn son uh, leads to a strange episode where God meets Moses on the way to Egypt and is about to kill him. Uh, the, the, the one that God has called to bring his people out, uh, he, he's about to die. <laughs> God's going to kill him. And that seems a bit strange. He's only saved because his wife, Zipporah, cuts off their son's foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it. Seems pretty weird, but... Actually, Moses has failed to circumcise his son, (laughs) leading to God's anger over him. And it's combined with that anger against Pharaoh and the the, the punishment of killing the firstborn son. It's foreshadowing the death that will be required. Blood shed to satisfy God's anger at Pharaoh's defiance and to allow his people to be finally saved from Egypt. Again, we'll come back to that in the next few weeks. Finally, Aaron and Moses meet and they come to the Israelites. Uh, Chapter 3 and 4 and everything we've seen, all the dialogue between God and Moses, the outcome might be considered a little... Follow along there with me. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Might get to this point and think, come on, what was Moses worried about? (laughs) Aaron gave the people the message God had given to Moses. Moses shows the people the signs God gave him. And the people believe and bow down in worship of God. It may seem a little anticlimactic because all of Moses' hand-wringing anxiety comes to nothing. It's also a very appropriate climax to the chapter uh, because it sets us up to see... God do as he said he will do. Everything God said to Moses was right. Just do these things, Moses. I'll help you. I'll be with you. I'll give you the words. Show these signs. It'll be okay. Moses found that hard to believe. God didn't. (laughs) We're reminded again that it is God who will save Israel. Our attention is brought back to God. Uh, That's where we need to always be as his people, as his servants. 
Moses will become a, a much more confident and capable leader as he sees God work his saving acts throughout the book. Uh, he'll become one of the greatest leaders Israel will know. But his rocky start and his reluctance to obey God's call, well, that's a reminder to us that there is only one perfect saviour. And it's not Moses. It's another saviour who God will provide. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, as God is preparing the people to enter the promised land, God says this to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. The Apostle Peter tells us in Acts chapter 3 uh, that this prophet is Jesus, uh, the Son of God who was perfectly, uh, the, the perfectly obedient and willing Saviour who gave his life and rescued his people from sin and death forever because he himself is God. I am, as he calls himself. He's the one who saves and he's the one who gives us our calling to serve him, spreading the gospel message, making disciples. And he's the one who promises to be with us for all time as we go about serving him and declaring his praises in the world. So let's do that with confidence. <laughs> no hand-wringing anxiety necessary. Uh, let's share the gospel with confidence. Let's serve God with confidence because we know who we serve. Uh, let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for your might and power. We praise you because you are the God who saves your people. You are the God who throughout the ages has acted to save your people, to bring about your plans for your world. You are the God who is entirely holy and separate and distinct from us. And yet you are the God who loves and cares for us as your children. We praise you for this, Lord. We praise you for this and we ask that you help us, Lord, as your people to serve you with confidence, to serve you wholeheartedly, knowing who you are, knowing your power, your might, knowing your fulfilment of your promises. Help us to be people who serve you and bring glory to you in our lives. Help us not to fear any other person or thing or power in this world. Help us to put our confidence in you. Help us to answer your call and serve you. We ask this, Lord, that you might be glorified. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.